Um, The reading this evening is from John 14, verses 1 to 4, which is on page 1082 in your Bibles. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Good evening. Would you like to find that reading? I know it's a very, very short reading, but it will really pay dividends if you can see it. You could put it on your phone, if your phone does that kind of thing, your tablet, or if you're old school, it's page 1082. And while you find it, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for your teaching. Thank you, you want to equip us, you want to strengthen us, you want to give us hope. And we pray that tonight you would come to us through your word, by your spirit. Just take what I've prepared and make it really useful for you. And may it nourish us and strengthen us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going through a sermon series called Decisions of Life, Decisions of Life. And tonight, the decision is a decision to trust God and to refuse to be troubled. To trust and to refuse to be troubled. But I want to begin in a different place. It will have happened to you, I'm certain of it, it will have happened to you in the past, and it will happen to you in the future, and it probably first happened to you long before uh, you're able to remember the specific event. I can't remember the first time it happened to me, but I can remember the first time it happened to my son, Ollie. Ollie's now grown up, he's 27, and he lives in London, and he wouldn't mind me telling you this story, though he won't actually remember the incident. I seriously do. It happened in winter, It was pretty arctic and cold, and Ollie had just recently sort of learnt to walk, so that must place him between 12 and 14 months. And because it was winter, he was padded up like, um, from the outside, he looked like a bit like Michelin man or an astronaut without the helmet. He had layer upon layer upon layer. I remember it well. And uh, it must have been a, a kind of rare event because I took him off to a play group. I don't know how often he'd been to this playgroup, if he'd ever been before. But he had a sunny, happy disposition. And when you're of that age, you, don't, you can't really communicate verbally because you haven't really got perhaps three or four words to your vocabulary. So it's all done through visual, non-verbal communication. And to me, as his proud father somewhere at the periphery of events, he looked like a very happy, wholesome young chap enjoying his first playgroup experience. And I saw him and stand up like moon man and walk with enormous confidence and bonhomie and charm into the center of his playgroup towards somebody else equally padded up like an astronaut. And when they got to kind of within hugging distance, the unexpected happened and Ollie got a sock somewhere between his kind of midriff and his face. I can't remember where exactly it landed, but Ollie landed on the floor And this look of total bemusement came over him, kind of, what? What just happened? I just don't believe it. 
And then, of course, and the tears followed. Now, you won't remember the first time that happened to you. But sadly, unexpected, inexplicable events that hurt don't get left behind in the playground, do they? And the problem is that they happen regularly throughout life and they get more and more complex. And uh, as we grow up, we need to find a way of handling these situations. Each of us, I'm sure, if this hasn't happened yet, you're living a charmed life. E to each of us, things happen that if you could have written your own roadmap of life, you would never have included in the plot. You would never have hoped to happen. You would have left off the pages of your life story. I, I think of um, every couple that I've ever seen married. I don't suppose a single one of them, I hope, not a single one of them on their wedding day thought to themselves, this is going to end in divorce. But we know for a fact that lots of marriages end in divorce. All of us probably at some point in our life has cried out, we've certainly heard other people cry out, it's not fair. No one's ever taught their children, look, there's something, a phrase that's really handy in life. It's called, it's not fair. Children say it the whole time, we think it pretty often, and it's not untrue. Life's not fair, it's a broken world we live in. And we individually are broken. Bad things happen to good people, evil things happen. Surprises happen. Wouldn't it be great if we could have a roadmap to navigate these times? If we could have a strategy for the difficult times. And I'm here to say tonight, the good news is we do have. Jesus has given us a strategy for these times. Do you think Jesus and the disciples lived a trouble-free life? Obviously not. Do you think there were ever times when they were nonplussed or the early church was taken by surprise? There are plenty of them. Even Amazingly, it appears to Jesus himself. There was a time in John chapter 6, it's described, where the crowds desert Jesus. And he turns to the disciples. It seems it's like one of those pivotal moments. And he says, are you going to leave me as well? The key moment. And there are lots of moments in his life, and there will be in our lives, where we need to know what to do when a crisis is upon us or a challenge is upon us. And tonight's talk is all about that. It's a strategy, the best strategy. I'm going to talk about the best strategy for the most difficult times of your life. Jesus's strategy. And my hope is that amongst us tonight, there are plenty of us who are not going through difficult times. But I want to say to you, squirrel what I have to say away as like a squirrel squirrels away food and nuts and buries it somewhere that it can return to for nourishment later. Because sadly, the chapter of challenge will come. And if you are in a chapter of challenge, let's hope and pray that this is a useful talk for you. And here's the first thing that Jesus tells us to do. Number one, be prepared. 
be prepared in advance. That's why I've been laboring this point that challenges will come. Part of getting our tactics sorted is to think ahead. I've sometimes thought, somewhat strange thought, that if you are a mouse, the time to know about mouse traps is before you're in one. No point becoming an expert in a mousetrap when it's just killed you. If we know challenges are going to come, let's think ahead. Now, the thing about what I've just said is it's incredibly unpopular. Today's default worldview, so it, it would seem to me, is let's just wing it. Let's just be spontaneous. Let's just see what happens. It, it'll all be fine. Let's just muddle through. You know, how else do you explain Kentucky Fried Chicken and the DHL disaster? As I heard them on the uh, television, uh, someone was commentating and they said, I can't believe they didn't pressure test their strategy before changing their delivery agent. But they didn't, and it all fell apart. I really don't like to talk about Brexit, whatever, but did we have a plan of what would happen before? Some people have even said that about the White House. They didn't have a roadmap for after the elections. Well, I don't want to get political, but what I do want to say is, Jesus says, plan in advance for the difficult day. Plan in advance for the difficult day. And here's the first thing to make up uh, your mind about beforehand, which is this, make up your mind beforehand what you're going to do. Jesus specifically says that. It's very interesting advice. He says to them in a different place in Luke chapter 21, talking about the last days, he says, before all this, they'll lay hands on you and persecute you, and they'll deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors on account of my name. And this will result in you being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you'll defend yourself. And what he's saying here is what he's repeating in John chapter 14. You and I have a choice how to think in these situations. And you can decide now, tonight, how you're going to behave in the time of trial. You can make up your mind beforehand. That's what this first point is. This is the first part of the strategy. And the thing you make up your mind about is you're not going to let your heart be troubled. You decide that now. I'm not going to go into meltdown mode. I'm going to choose to trust instead. I'm choosing in advance. It's so interesting, isn't it, that this part of John's gospel is the part where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death. And we can read when we put all the gospel accounts together that Jesus spends a fair amount of time preparing himself for his death. But he exemplifies what it is to be outward looking in a crisis and he's incredibly concerned about how the disciples are going to get through it and his focus is on them and of course he knew that outwardly it looked catastrophic that he was going to die on the cross and the disciples who had walked in his company day in day out day and night for three years were going to be left without him so of course he's concerned for them and he can see in their fragility the potential for them falling apart as well as falling away. 
And his first piece of advice is, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't go into meltdown. Don't get thrown into confusion. And without forward planning, that's exactly what would happen for you and for me, I think. I don't know what your reaction would be. You know the kind of things people do. Run for the hills, as it were. Eat chocolate. Phone a friend. Hold a pity party. Despair. And all of those things spring really from a troubled heart. In the same breath as saying, don't let your heart be troubled, Jesus tells you what to do instead. By and large, it's no good just dishing out negative advice about what not to do unless you're told what to do instead. And Jesus says, exchange trouble for trust. Determine now. When you hit some, or you're hit by some inexplicable event, exchange a troubled heart for trust in Christ. Cling to him. As you look at these verses, it's amazingly significant that the one who's speaking is one who has never lied in his life. He hasn't adopted any of those tactics which we just take with the territory in a conversation. He's not concealed anything from his disciples. He's never told them a half-truth. He's never said to them that following him would be easy. He's put it on the table from day one. If you follow me, you're called to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. It's going to be a hard road. He's told them that. He's never hidden that from them. And that's why it's got such force when he says to them, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And they'd have been able to process that and clock it in a way we might find hard, they'd be able to say, you know, it's absolutely true. He's never hidden anything from us. When the road was tough, he told us it would be tough. There's nothing that's happened that he's concealed. And so when he says to them, in my father's house there are lots of rooms, I would have told you otherwise. They were saying to themselves, yes, it's true. He would have told us otherwise. And he says a number of things of consequence to enable us to trust him. He said he's made provision for us. There are rooms for us. He said, moreover here, he said he's gone ahead to prepare a place for us. Verse 3, if I go ahead and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you might be where I'm going. And what he's describing here is his role as a pathfinder. There's apparently a Greek word, prodromos, which means exactly that, a pathfinder. And for the helpful little picture of this, apparently Alexandria Harbor was peculiarly precarious and difficult to navigate. So what would happen is the big ships would follow very small tugboats, and they were described as prodromos, the forerunners, the pathfinders. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to be like that for you. I'm going ahead of you, and I'll come back and fetch you. And the significance of what I'm saying tonight is, if Jesus can see us through death, which is the biggest challenge of all, you can trust him with everything else. 
This is the example par excellence of how to react in a crisis because this is the biggest crisis that could ever come, the death of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, I'm preparing a good way through for you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Decide in advance to trust. Now I want to comment on this because I think it'd be helpful to say therefore it's really vital, really important to know these things in your knower in advance, to know for sure that you know who you are trusting. You know, the Apostle Paul would write to the young Timothy when he was near, when Paul was near his own death. And he wrote, I know who I have believed, and I'm convinced he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him, e.g. his life, for that last day. And then later on, knowing he's near to death, Paul writes, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. And I just want to say, as clearly as I can, it's disastrous, it's destabilizing if we go iffy on God's provisions. Jesus wants us to know with total security that he's done everything that's necessary to be able to walk as a friend with us, alongside us in life, and through death, and to receive us out the other side. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to use a bit of techno speak, to have assurance of faith, and we're meant to enjoy it. We're meant to be sure of it. That's why Paul could say, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's nothing to fear. We can now, in Jesus Christ, walk into God's company with confidence. And if you're not yet in that place where you have that confidence, well then the advice that Jesus gives to Philip a little bit further on in this passage might be helpful for you. In verse 9 and verse 10 in the same chapter, he says, if you're not yet convinced, well check out the words that I speak because they're not just my own. It's the Father speaking in me. And you might like to do a little refresher course on the wisdom of the words that Jesus spoke and then decide, can I trust this man? Or if that's not enough, as Jesus says to Philip, believe on the evidence of the works that I do, verse 9, the miracles themselves. And think it through to yourself, who else but God could have done the things that Jesus did in the flesh? But I want to impress upon us what I'm sure you know already, which is that eternal life starts the moment you invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. That's what John says in John chapter 17, verse 3. In the last week, when it was announced that uh, Billy Graham had died, the great American evangelist, the most popular quote that was put online and was attributed to Billy Graham actually was uh, a kind of reworked quote by a former evangelist called D.L. Moody. But I'll read you the Billy Graham version. 
which goes like this. Someday you'll read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive then than I am now. I will have gone into the presence of God. And the same is true for Rupert Charkham, and you can put your name there too if you're a follower of Christ. And we're meant, it sounds, it's not meant to sound brash. It's not like we're confident in our own strength or goodness. We're just supremely confident in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it enables us to trust him. What does it mean to trust in Christ rather than be troubled? It means to rely on him totally. To rely on him totally. Every time you get in a car and someone else is driving, you are trusting the person that's driving you. Every time you get in an aeroplane and let someone else pilot it, you are trusting that they will see you through to your destination. Every time you go to sleep at night, you are trusting that you'll wake up in the morning. Every day will present an opportunity to trust the living God. Every week, every month. And the recipe for peace doesn't change throughout the scriptures. It's to rely and trust on the goodness of God. Psalm 112, verse 7, sums it up like this, incredibly like the verse we've been reading in John 14. He will have no fear of bad news, talking about the person who knows God. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Now I want to just say as I close this sermon that God has made provision for us to strengthen that trust. If you like, to tilt the landscape in our favor, to make sure that we go on growing in our trust. And here are some of the provisions that he's made for us. And if you're wise, which you are, you'll want to invest in these provisions. He's given us his word. In his word, the scriptures are hundreds and hundreds of promises. And in as much as you can remember them and commit them to memory, you will be strengthened. It was so interesting this morning to hear our speaker, Simon Gillibo, come and talk to us about his extreme danger that he lives in Burundi. I wasn't in the least bit surprised that in the course of his sermon, he rattled off promise after promise after promise from the scriptures of God's goodness and faithfulness because he'd committed those promises to his heart, to his memory, to his mind, and they brought strength and confidence. Can you ginger up immediately just a few promises which reassure you that God will never leave you or forsake you, that God will walk with you, that whatever you've done in your life, if you confess your, your sins before God, he will forgive you and set you on a new path. God's word is there to strengthen us and encourage us. Invest in it. Invest in it. The more we get this book into us, the more secure we will be, the better able we will be to be able to stand. But it's not just his word alone. It's his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is given specifically to comfort us and to guide us and to guard our hearts and keep them in perfect peace. 
It's a simple prayer, but a very effective one. Come, Holy Spirit. To confess, Lord, I'm feeling wobbly. I'm feeling out of my depth. I need your strength. Come, Holy Spirit. We're told in these chapters, John 14 to 16, the comforter is given to us precisely because Jesus isn't here. But he is given to us to be Jesus' representative in us and with us. God has given us his family. Look around you. We are God's provision for one another. When the hard times come, praise God we'll never be alone. Praise God there will be others in God's family who are going through a great time. They have all the strength in the world, all the faith in the world. They can gather around you, support you in practical ways, remind you of God's goodness. That's how it's meant to be. But most of all, he's given us his life. And what we're going to do in just a few minutes is what he told us to do. To bring us strength. To remind us how much he cares. That he laid down his life for us, for you, and for me. To rehearse in our heads, as it were, in our minds, that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords loved us so much that he came and lived amongst us. That he has experienced suffering. That he has experienced sudden inexplicable reversals. But he did it voluntarily for us and is the example for us. And his love goes that wide and that deep. And when we're told a little bit later tonight, take and eat this, remember that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. Let that be strengthening for you. I was told a story once by a man I worked for called David McInnes. And he told me that when he was working in a church in Gillingham, in um, Kent, no, Merseyside, I think, at Docks, Docklands, anyway, Gillingham Docklands, he and his uh, fellow curate and his boss had Corrie ten Boom to stay. And she was a survivor of a concentration camp. You will have read her book, probably, The Hiding Place. And she, at the time that she went to stay with uh, John Collins and David McInnes and David Watson, she was quite an elderly lady. She's very neat and she very well turned out. She was already a very famous author. And she had this habit of just uh, dropping memorable phrases into uh, people's memory bank. And David used to tell a story that at the end of her week with them, they went to see her off uh, on her train. They put her into her carriage. And as the train started to chug out, she leaned out of the window and she just shouted at them, don't wrestle, nestle. It's quaint, but it exactly summarizes what Jesus is saying here. Don't wrestle, nestle. Let's pray. I'm going to read these verses again. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So we pray, Heavenly Father, that this teaching of Jesus might become precious to us. We want to pray, Lord, for those known to us. It may be us ourselves or maybe just friends or family who are facing big challenges, events they would never have put their hands up for or volunteered for, situations which are testing. And we pray for the strength to decide to trust and not to panic, to decide to turn to you, Lord Jesus, and not to run away. Holy Spirit, we pray for your help. And we pray for us as a family that we might be a resource for those who are running into difficult times right now. We pray that you'd skill us so that we could support one another even better. And thank you, Lord, that your word can come to life in these situations. And we pray that it would. We pray that relevant promises would minister comfort and joy in the darkest of places. And most of all, we thank you, Lord God, for the gift of your son, for the reminder that he couldn't care more. Thank you that tonight, as we are invited to come and draw near with faith, you will draw near to us. You will give strength that we can't muster up. And you will prove again, as you have so often, that you're totally trustworthy. Thank you, Lord God.